want to read to you. So Maria, her class, she got all the kids to write a, um, a pastor appreciation letter to me. I, I enjoyed all of them. But um, this one was from Liana. And Liana wrote this. You are the best pastor. She says, you are the best. So when I was reading this, my self-esteem went like that. She says, let me read it to you again. You are the best pastor. And then she says, you are the only pastor I know. <laughs> so my self-esteem went, whoop! <laughs> she wrote some really nice things. And... Um, some really nice things in her letter. So it was very, very good. You give me the stack, you know that I read them. <laughs> all right. How y'all doing? So we're going to be looking at today, as I've been saying to the rapture, and um, I'm going to ask you to go with me to Mark chapter 13, and uh, it's 32, it's verse 32 through 36, and um, if you stand with me for the reading of the word, and I want to thank Justin so much for uh, my slides were all over the place this morning. I don't know why. I think I know why. So Mark chapter 13, beginning on verse 32 down to verse, um, actually to verse 37, the word of our Lord. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, lest a coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Holy Father, we, we just humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord God. We ask for just, Lord, an anointing, Lord God, upon us. These are a word, Lord God, that can be difficult, Lord God, to discern and understand. So we have to yield ourselves to your spirit, who was our teacher. And pray, Lord God, that you would help us to discern the word, to understand the word, to take the word, Lord God, into our hearts, that it would, Lord, truly bring forth an abundance of fruit. Uh, peace in a crazy world, joy with the expectation of your coming, Lord God, love for the people and the work that you've called us to do. So, Father, we ask these things and we pray them in the name of Jesus here this morning. Amen. So, if, if you look at our text, it, it, it's basically telling us, again, as we've been going through Mark chapter 13, that the Lord is going to come and he's going to come suddenly. He's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come in a, a moment when um, no one knows that he's coming. So he says here, watch, because I may come in the evening or in midnight, in the morning, at the crowing of the rooster. Uh, and he may come right now. And he may come tomorrow. Or he may come next week. And that is called the rapture. Let me just ask you this. Is there anybody here who has never heard of the rapture? Anyone? Who is honest enough and courageous enough to lift up their hands? Anybody? Okay. I have people coming in from other churches, and we talk with them, and they are frequently very um, uninformed about prophetic things. And, um, and it's kind of as I've been teaching through Mark 13, which is an extremely prophetic passage, the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, uh, the Olivet Discourse. As I've talked with people, and as some of the other leaders in the church have talked to people and then talked to me, they've said that people had no clue about these things. And I said to you that you have 27% of the Bible is prophecy. And yet in churches like ours in this day and age, only about 3% of pastors are actually teaching on it. So they basically avoid it. I mean, how many of you, ha you know, have ever been in a church where the pastor preached through the book of Revelation? And um, again, that's a very rare thing that you'll find today. So um, 
the rapture. Let me give you, I want to give you another passage that talks, a very common passage, the most, really the most common passage in Scripture that talks about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You understand what, what that's saying? When, when a believer dies, their soul goes to be with the Lord. Where does the body go? It goes into the ground, okay? Or it, goes, it, it becomes elements, okay? Whether it's cremated or, or, you know, or buried, and what it's saying, when the Lord comes back, the souls, okay, of the believers will come back with him. And those who have died in Christ, okay, the, and I believe Old Testament, New Testament saints will be raised up, and their souls will be united to their bodies. They'll have a body like Jesus, glorified body. We've, we've talked about this many times in these last months. So then, then it goes on to say here, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So that is talking about an entire generation of believers who at some time in the future, again, near future, far future, will suddenly in a, an instantaneous moment, they will go to be with the Lord. They will never die a physical death. An entire generation just suddenly just going to be with the Lord. They suddenly vanish and they are with the Lord. So I'm going to show you a video. This is a church video that was done in England. Some of you, I've, I've showed this to you before. And um, it's a great video that just gives you a little bit of a picture of maybe what it would be like in a church when the rapture happens. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24. We're not getting a picture here. Hold on. For you do not Jesus Christ is coming Lord. back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew that Jesus Christ could come this month. Chapter 24, or he could come next week. Watch therefore. Or he could even come. That didn't really get the picture going. Hold on. Let's try it again. All right. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come... get the picture that, I mean, in a church, there will be people who are going to be left behind. And uh, there are people who are going to be taken in, you know, in an instant. In a, as it says in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a twinkling of an eye. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. A twinkling of an eye, a millisecond, suddenly an entire generation. Sometimes, if you've seen, they've made movies on this and, and I showed you that, it shows these people like slowly going up to heaven. There ain't going to be nothing slow about it. They're going, to be, they're going to be translated in an instantaneous second. They're going to be gone and they're going to be with the Lord. They will meet the Lord in the clouds. Now, the, the, the question and the big question that comes up, uh, when does this happen? And um, this is, this is uh, important because this is, this is a debate. Depending on what church you go to, what pastor, for the most part, uh, most churches, okay, uh, evangelical, charismatic churches, take the view of a pre-tribulation rapture that essentially, again, you have the tribulation. Remember, remember the tribulation. You don't want to be here. So a pre-tribulation rapture is that Jesus comes either right before or during the beginning of the tribulation period. 
Okay, that's the rapture. Then he returns, the second coming, we studied that last week, he comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Another view is a mid-tribulation view that he comes in the middle of the tribulation. So it means that the church then would go through part of this literally hell on earth, and then the church will be taken up. And then the, the, the last view, the post-tribulation rapture, is that he comes at the end of the tribulation. And um, I, when I first got saved, I was a, I was a, I'm sorry, a post-tribulation believer. That's where I started. But the more I studied the scriptures, I then began to move to the center, and I became a mid-tribulation believer. And now, um, well, probably after about 15 years, I became a pre-tribulation believer, and I've been there pretty much steady for the last uh, 25, uh, last 15, uh, I'm sorry, last 25 years. And um, I, wrote, I wrote my thesis for my master's degree on the tribulation. And um, I ended it by saying that if, um, if there is a pre-tribulation rapture, the post-tribulationists are going to be pleasantly surprised, Right? And if there is a post-tribulation rapture, the pre-tribulationists are going to be unpleasantly surprised. And then I ended it by saying, ultimately, it's all going to pan out, so I'm a pan-tribulation rapture believer. <laughs> but I am, I am a pre-tribulation. So that, that, that is the question. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about a pre-tribulation rapture. And I want to give to you ten. I want to give to you ten evidences, ten reasons why uh, I believe the Bible gives us really strong, again, reasons and evidence to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Okay, ready? Here we go. Number one, the church is never mentioned between Revelation chapter six through eighteen. It is mentioned twenty times in Revelation chapters one through three. So when you come. To Revelation chapter 1, you have this, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1 talks about the church 2 through 3. It talks about the seven churches, which I, which I believe talk about seven periods of church history. So if you understand the, the book of the Revelation, chapters 1 through 3, um, it tells us all about the church. Right? You have periods of, of, and if you're a student of church history, or if you'd like to become a student of church history, I have 25 volumes of the first 300 years of church history up in my office, and you're welcome to go up there and sit, and sometime in the next 25 years, you'll complete them. Okay? I've actually studied through them. But what you have is the first period, like those, those first hundred years, the Church of Ephesus, and then Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. But when you come here, the, the three churches that seem to still be around today, the Church of Sardis, which is the dead church. He says you're dead. There are churches that are just dead. I mean, there's very maybe one or two true believers in the entire church. And then you have the Church of Philadelphia, which is the missionary church, evangelical church, church that is Bible-believing church, proclaiming the gospel. And then the last church is the Church of Laodicea, which is, seems to be, the, again, an apostate church. It's the lukewarm church. Jesus says, you're lukewarm, right? You're neither hot nor cold. I want to spit you out of my mouth. You know, you say you're rich. You say that you're, you know, you're wonderful. But he says, actually, you're, you're pitiful. You're, you're, you're dead. You're, you know, you're naked. And uh, I believe that is, again, uh, really, I say this, this is really the, 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 the picture of the church, the Philadelphia church, Laodicea church, Sardis church, those churches in our time, the majority of churches. Now, you go to chapter 4 and 5, again, the, the, the church isn't mentioned, but in 4 and 5, you have 24 elders in heaven. What could they represent? And I believe what they represent are the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. They represent the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Then from chapter 6 through um, chapter 18, there is no mention of the church at all. Not one mention. And when you really stop and think about that, from Pentecost and the book of Acts on, the church is continuously mentioned over and over again, and it's never mentioned at all. No mention of the church. In chapter 19, suddenly you have the mention of the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is with the Lord in heaven. Chapter 19, the church is coming back with the Lord. So the, the, simply, the, the church is not mentioned in chapter 6 through 18, and that is the tribulation. So 
I think that's strong evidence that we're not here during the tribulation period. Reason number two, if it happens at the end of the tribulation, who then populates the millennial kingdom? Because the millennial kingdom, okay, and, and Brenda, you sent me a, I thought, I, I thought um, you sent me that email, how do we know it's a thousand years? Because it said six times that it's a thousand years in, Re, in Revelation chapter 20. So you have 1,000 year millennial kingdom. So essentially here, when the Lord comes, okay, he takes, again, his bride up with him. He takes the church up with him at the beginning of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, okay, you have the believers. People have come to believe during the tribulation period. The believers are those who go into the millennial kingdom and they repopulate and they're actually populating. We see a lot of evidence of that. You can see that in, again, in Revelation chapter 20, you see it in the book of Isaiah. Now, if the rapture happens, right, right when Jesus comes back, okay, at the end of the tribulation, his glorious appearing of the second coming, who populates? Because everybody is glorified. They're not going to be having sexual relations with glorified bodies and be populating the earth. So it has to happen before okay, before the glorious appearing or the, or the second coming of the Lord. Now, and that's, you know, that's key. He comes back and there are believers waiting for him. They are the ones who are going to go in to the millennial kingdom and they are going to repopulate the millennial kingdom. They're going to be his servants in the millennial for the 1,000 years, okay, on earth. So that's a strong argument. One of my professors in seminary he was a strong post-tribulationist, and when I proposed this question to him, I don't want to make fun of the man, but I got blah, 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 blah. You ever see people like that when they don't know how to answer a question? He, didn't, he couldn't answer the question. I said, well, if the believers are taken out, right, at the glorious appearing second coming, I said, who populates the millennial kingdom? He couldn't answer that. And, it's, and it really is. They, they don't. The post-tribulationists don't have an answer to that question. Number three. Reason three, Jesus promises the church of Philadelphia to keep them from the hour of trial, which is to come upon the whole earth. Again, the, the, the seven churches, right? You have these three churches, I believe, that are there and here, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea at the end. But notice what he says to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole, right? Notice that, the whole world. Now, I don't know of anything other than the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, that that, that that could be to test those who dwell on the earth. So I think that's a, that's a wonderful promise. You want to be in the church of Philadelphia today. You don't want to be in the church of Sardis, and you don't want to be in the church of Laodicea. Okay, number four. Fourth reason. Why would the appearing of Jesus be called the blessed hope if it happens at the end of the tribulation? So it's called, it's called the, the blessed hope. That's like the hope of, of looking forward to something, looking forward to something wonderful. Now, if the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation, Right? Think about people, again, what are they waiting for? Because they're not going to be initially waiting for the appearance of Jesus. They'll be waiting for the Antichrist to make a treaty with Israel, right? Daniel chapter 9, 24. They'll be waiting for the Antichrist. They're going to be looking for him. They're going to be waiting for Armageddon, for the horse, four horsemen of the apocalypse, for the, right, the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments. They're going to be waiting. I mean, the, the way it's the, the destruction of mankind, 50% of the population on earth will die, okay, due to wars and, and famines and diseases and persecution during the tribulation period. So, you know, that's what people are going to be looking for. So when it comes to, again, a pre-tribulation rapture, the idea is there, there's a, 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 a sense of it being eminent, right? You're, 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 living, right? you're living for it to occur. Look at, at, at Titus 2.13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, we're looking forward. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Right? Right. Don't you love Christmas? I love, I, you know when I started listening to Christmas carols? November 1st. I started listening to Christmas praise music November 1st. I'm like a kid. 
Right? I, love, I, I love Christmas. I love the whole thing of Christmas. I love Christmas at Living Word. I love, I love everything about it. Well, let's say this. You know that Christmas is coming. But a week before Christmas, you're going to be fired from your job. And you know that. And then you're going to become violently ill. And then you're going to find out that you're bankrupt. And you're going to be evicted from your home. And your car is going to be repossessed. And you're going to fall and break your leg. And you're going to have to go through major reconstructive surgery. And then you find out that Aaron Judge signed with the uh, San Francisco Giants. <laughs> Would you be looking forward to Christmas knowing that all of that's going to happen the week before Christmas? You get my point? If, if you are looking and saying, oh, well, there's going to be a post-tribulation rapture, but we're going to have to go through all these horrible... You're not looking forward to it. But it's, it's a blessed hope. You know when you hope for something? When you're hoping for something? And you're living with expectation of something? Reason number five. God did not appoint us to suffer his wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we walk or sleep, we should live together with him. By the way, the word, the word wrath, the word, is, the word is orch, and what it carries with it is, it's punishment. It's God's punishment. It's his vengeance. The tribulation is the wrath of God. Now, you'll find the wrath of Satan in there, too. The wrath of the Antichrist. But it, it is the wrath of God. And look, you know, Revelation chapter 6, 15 through 16, and the kings of the earth, this is the sixth seal, Okay. You know, they have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first four seals, and this is the sixth seal. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us for the from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And you see that, you see that mentioned a number of times, the wrath of God is being poured out in the tribulation. If we have not, right, we, we will not suffer wrath. If you're a believer, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've come to him by faith, you've received his salvation, you've been redeemed, you've been reconciled, you're a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God, you've been born of the Spirit, you've been delivered from wrath. You may go through some difficulties in this life, right, there may be some trials in this life, Right? But we've been delivered from the wrath of God. So that, that's just a, a strong argument for me that we, we're not going through the tribulation. Okay, reason number six. In the rapture, believers meet Christ in the air. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 4.14. The second coming, Christ returns to the Mount of Olives to meet the believers on earth. Zechariah 14. Two, two completely different things. So 1 Thessalonians again 4.17 Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus uh, we shall always be with the Lord. By the way, you see the word caught up together or caught up? That is where they get the word rapture from. The translation of the Greek to the Latin. Jerome, 3rd century, when he translated the Bible from the Greek to the Latin. He used the word rapture. But the word, is, the word there... Um, it, it, it's talking about a, just a sudden snatching out of the world, right? It's just that he's, he's snatching us out of the world. Again, Latin word rapture. Zechariah 14, 3 and 4, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. This is talking about Armageddon. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Remember we looked at that last week? Touchdown! We have touchdown. Remember when they landed on the moon? Well, this is the Lord's touchdown on earth, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making it a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, half of it towards the south. As I was saying to you last week, you're going to have this huge divide that's going to open up a giant river that's going to go from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea, where nothing grows, is suddenly going to come alive. 
when we go to the Dead Sea, right? You don't want to put your eyes in the Dead Sea. I went to the Dead Sea once. I had some, I had some cuts and stuff on me. Man, let me tell you, that 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 those minerals, they they just they're just gonna burn everything on your body. So suddenly the Dead Sea is going to come alive. But when the Lord touches down, his foot touches down the Mount of Olives. Again, there's a very different meeting the Lord in the air, right? The Lord coming to the earth. Reason number seven. The rapture, the world is left unjudged and living in sin. The second coming, the world is judged and righteousness is established. So when the rapture happens, you know, going through the tribulation, it's the reign of Antichrist. The persecution of believers, Gentile you know, and Jew, martyrs. You're going to have ma- massive persecution, um, evil, murder, carnage, war. The second coming, okay, you have judgment. The Antichrist is judged. And the false prophet, right? Revelation chapter 19, they're cast into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20. There's judgment. You have the judgment between the sheep and the goats. Read about that in in Matthew chapter 25. I'll read to you just two passages, 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne of, of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Sheep being believers, the goats being unbelievers. And there's, again, this, this great divide. You can, you can find sermons online at livingwordalive.com about the separation of the sheep and the goats. A lot of people's mis- people mistake it because it seems like Jesus is saying that you're saved by works. They were, they were essentially saved. You can always save. You have to take, never take Scripture out of its context. Scripture from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. We are saved by faith, but we're saved by a faith that works. Right? Show me your, your, you know, your faith, right? I will show you my faith by what I do, James said. And that's what they do. The believers are actually looking after the Jewish believers during the tribulation. And he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brethren of mine, I think he's talking about Jews. And he said, you did it unto me. So true faith is working during the tribulation. The sheep, though, are saved. The goats, again, are basically judged and condemned. Reason number eight, no one knows when the rapture will happen. The second coming occurs at the end of the seven-year tribulation and three and a half years after the abomination desolation. So again, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father, in, uh, my father only. So for the last 2,000 years since Pentecost... Right, the church has been waiting. Right, there's, there's nothing that had to happen for the Lord to come and rapture his church. There's no sign that has to happen for the Lord to come and rapture. That's why the early Christians, when Jesus ascended, right, they're like, when are you coming back? Because they expected, and you see this in the writings of the believers, the, the, the Christians, they expected him to come back right away. They didn't know it was going to be 2,000 years or, or, or more for the Lord to come back. So that's the, that, that's the rapture. Now watch, with, with the tribulation, right? person is going through the tribulation. Seven years. When the Antichrist makes that covenant treaty with Israel, Daniel 9, 24, you could start counting the days because you're going to have seven years, 360 Hebrew days, okay, in a year. You can count the days until you have the glorious appearing of the second coming of the Lord. If you come to the abomination desolation, Antichrist goes into the temple. I'm telling you, this is going to be on CNN. It's going to be on Fox. It's going to be on your, 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 your handheld device. But the Antichrist is going to go into the temple and here's this world leader and he's going to say, I'm God. And they're going to build a statue that they're going to put in the temple. Now you see that happen, right? You can start to count the days. You're going to have, right? You're going to have exactly 1,260 days, three and a half years, right until the Lord comes. So you're going to know. So let me just say this to you. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're going to watch this. The people are watching it. 
if they're watching it, or maybe they're watching it a year from now, but you really have never given yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have never taken Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're in the church of Laodicea. You're saying right now today, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you're not. Or maybe you're in the church of Sardis and you're just dead. You don't even know it. You're spiritually dead. And you go into the tribulation. And you make it. You make it to the abomination desolation. And I believe you will know then what you do is you get out your calendar and you just start checking off the days. 1,260 days until Jesus comes. And just mark your calendar. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Getting to the end of that day. And I know this is kind of, you're sitting there, it's a little, I'm being fictitious. But if you are, I'll just tell you, you can count the days if you make it to the coming of the Lord. But that's essentially, you will know the day of the coming of the Lord. If you're going to the truth, you will not know the day or the hour or the moment when the Lord comes at the rapture. All right, next. Reason number nine. There is a clear distinction between the rapture of the church and the second coming. So, with the rapture, Jesus is coming for his saints. In his second coming, Jesus is coming with his saints. Watch 1 Thessalonians again 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. He's coming for us. Look at, look at when he comes back with the second coming, the glorious appearing, Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 14. Now he saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a, white, uh, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called Word of God, the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who are the armies, right? They, they are, again, in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. That's the saints. We coming back with him. He takes us up to meet him in the clouds. And then seven years later, we're coming back with him. Look at Jude, chapter, uh, Jude verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. So we meet the Lord in the air. I love this picture. Right? All of a sudden, in a moment, we're with him. In glory. We meet the Lord in the air. We're with him for seven years in heaven. We're not going to know it's seven years, right? We're going to be in a place, I think that, that it, 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 time, time, is, time doesn't exist as it does here in, in heaven. We're with the Lord, we're with the Lord. What, what are we doing up there for seven years? There's things that says, that gives us a lot of things, the Bible says, that we'll be doing. By the way, you're not going to just be sitting on a cloud playing a, a violin, getting chubby, Right? Bible says that there's going to be the Bema Seat, the Bema Seat of Christ, judgment seat of Christ for believers, that we all have to appear before Jesus, give an accounting. What'd you do? What'd you do from the day I saved you till the day I raptured you? That's what he's going to hold us accountable to. I gave you time, I gave you money, I gave you gifts. What did you do? for the building of my kingdom with that time, with that money, and with those gifts. And we're going to have to give an accounting. I, I don't believe it's going to be a, a condemnation. It's not condemnation, right? It's not wrath. It's an awards. There are crowns. I think there are things we're doing in this life that we are going to carry with us in the next life, our faithfulness with what God has given us. And then there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19. There's going to be this marriage supper. And as, look, I have a hard time relating to being a bride, but I'm going to be a bride. <laughs> I really have a hard time with that. 
but I'm going to be a bride, and you're going to be the bride, and we're all going to be the bride of Christ, and there's going to be this great marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, at the end of those seven years, we're coming back with him. And like my friend L.A. Marzulli said to us when he was here with us a few years ago, we all get a white horse. <laughs> you're going to have a horse. You're probably going to get to keep him through eternity, maybe. You know that pet you really love that died? Oh, that, that dog that died or that cat that died. Well, he's going to give you a horse that's never going to die. We're going to come back. We're going to come back with him. That's, again, the, the difference, right? With one, we meet him in the air. With the other, we're coming back with him. All right, 10. Last one. Reason number 10. The restrainer is removed, then the Antichrist is revealed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know, now watch this, he says, what is restraining? And he's talking here, something is restraining the Antichrist. Something is restraining the devil right now from revealing the Antichrist. So he says, you know what? And it's what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, right? We see that in our world. Only he, now notice this, he, he uses a personal pronoun, he. So he says, he says, what is restraining? Now, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So it's a what, and it's a he. Who what? Who he? <laughs> That's not good grammar, okay? Yeah, it's the church, and it's the spirit in the church. Now, the spirit cannot be removed from the world, but the spirit is working through the church in this world to restrain evil. So when the believers are taken out, the spirit's not, he's not leaving. The spirit is working throughout the, the tribulation period. Look at Revelation chapter 7. There are a multitude of people who are going to come to believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Many of them are going to be martyred. Some of them are going to survive. But the Spirit is going to be moving. The Spirit is going to be convicting people of sin. The Spirit is going to be bringing people. That's how we all come to Jesus, right? We all come, we all come to Jesus through His working. As I say, I say, why me? Who am I? I was listening last night, Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson. I don't know some of you who are older remember those guys. They wild. They live wild lives, right? Drinking and drugs and women. And they both came to Christ and they sing this song. It's a beautiful song. They just sing, they sing, Why me? And I asked the Lord that, that question. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't searching for God. I wasn't searching, you know, I, I didn't have any major problems in my life. But all of a sudden, God just came and he, and he, he saved me, right? He, he convicted me of my sin. He saved me. He revealed Jesus to me. And they called me, called me within a few days to, to do what I'm doing today. I never in my wildest dreams ever imagined that I would be doing this. So, so why me? And that's, again, that's the working of the Spirit. The Spirit's going to be working like that throughout the tribulation period. But the church is taken up. So when, when the restrainer is removed, that has to be the rapture. Right? We're suddenly taken out of the way. And then all, like, it's like all hell breaks loose on the earth. And then Satan, Satan just brings forth his, his agenda. Folks, I want to say this to you. You see, you see women's meetings, men's meetings. We pray. I mean, Lenny was praying here. I'm praying here. Don't ever underestimate the power that God has given you. The authority and the power that God has given you to be able to restrain evil, to be able to restrain the enemy. And I, I think that when, when we realize and we take serious that, that God has given us this great power and authority, we have the power. And you may be looking right now and saying, look at what's going on in our country and, and the evil that's going on and the wickedness that's going on. Let me tell you something. We need to continue to be the restrainer and letting the Spirit of God work through us. When we're taken out of the way, boy, again, all hell breaks loose. So here's our, here's our, our final word, a final application. I want to give you 
three analogies that Jesus gives us. He gives us three analogies of readiness, right? We, that we, we, need, we need to be ready. So the first, the first is be prepared. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote to you from Matthew chapter 24, 35. Let your waist be girded. And you, you know what that, what that means? Let me give you a, a great chart here. I found this online. So a man, right, would have, would have the gown. Could you imagine trying to run or fight a battle? That's why the prodigal father had to take his, his outer garment, pull it up between his legs, and he ran bare-legged, which was a, a, a very shameful thing to do to run bare-legged, to show your legs, to run, you know, a man. But he did that running to the son who was lost and who was found, who was dead and is alive. Picture again of God's great love. That he will bear shame to be able to, to come to us and love us. And so, the idea here is of, of girding up your loins, okay, you would, you would pull up, you would tie it, you would tuck it in the back, right? And, um, and then you're ready for battle, Right? So, I'll give you a, a, a modern day interpretation of this. When Jesus comes, don't get caught with your pants down. Be ready. Don't get caught with your pants down. Just be in a place where you're, you're ready. Second, be filled. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. So immediately makes you, you know, think of, right, what, the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The five who were wise kept their cans, right, kept their lamps filled with oil. The five who were foolish, they did not keep their lamps filled with oil. When the Lord came, Right? The master came. The, the five who had their lamps filled with oil, they were prepared. The five who did not have their lamps filled with oil, they were unprepared. They were left behind. So you, under, you understand, the oil is who? Yeah, the oil is the Holy Spirit, right? Throughout the scripture. Look at, look at, here's a great, a, a great quote. You are the lamp. Jesus is the flame. The Holy Spirit is the oil that keeps the flame burning on the inside of us. So you have to stay filled with the Spirit. What, what is the, uh, the great exhortation in Ephesians 5.18? Do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I can't even tell you how many times I've, I've just, the Spirit has given me this in the middle of a message, and I've talked to the church about it in the last couple of years. That the idea, what happens when you're drunk with wine? Who do you come under the influence of? Right? Yeah, you see somebody drunk with, you know, they're, they're, they're drunk with wine, they're, they're under the influence of the wine. Takes, they do stupid things, they say stupid things, right? It just, you talk to a policeman, and every domestic violence situation, there's always alcohol involved. Right? Auto accidents, most of the time, there's alcohol involved. It just, it makes people dopey. It makes people stupid. It makes, it makes them do really dumb things. They're under the influence. They no longer have control of themselves. They're under the control of the alcohol. Now watch. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What is it to be filled with the Spirit? To be under His influence. It's to be under, you, you are yielding to the Spirit. You are cooperating with the Spirit. By the way, it doesn't mean He makes you into a robot. And you ever see, you ever see I, I mean, some of the, let me tell you, some of the churches I went into years ago, you would think that, that the people, they were, they were robot, right? It was like, you know, the glassy-eyed, kooky-looking, that, that spirituality, that's, you know, it's kookiness. You need to yield. When you are under the influence of the Spirit, you're yielding to the Spirit, you're choosing, you're making decisions every day to yield to Him. To do it his way, not your way. To obey him instead of just simply obeying yourself. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship. Do you understand? It's a relationship. It's not that he's turning you into Frankenstein going to church today. You choose. You never lose your freedom. You choose. I choose to yield to him. And you know why? Because it always leads 
to higher ground. It always leads to peace. It always leads to joy. It always leads to love. It always leads to a better life when you yield to the Spirit. When you do it your own, I mean, I said, looking people, I'm just doing it their way, right? Just doing it their way. How's it working for you? How's it working for you? What's your life like? You've been doing it your way? Maybe you've been doing it your way for a long time? How's it working for you? Oh, not too good, huh? Where's your, where's your level of peace in your life, your level of joy? Just see, just, just see what it works. That, that's what it is to be filled, to be filled with the Spirit. Yes, there could be manifestations of gifts. Yes, there'll be an abundance of the fruit of the Spirit. But the main thing is you're not under the influence of the world or Satan or yourself. You're under the influence of the Spirit of God. That's really what it is to be filled with the Spirit. I talked to a, a pastor from a, he was from an assemblies church. And, and he, sometimes when we get together, we complain. Um, I don't like to complain. I used to complain more than I complain now. But he just said to me, he goes, you know, I got a church of like 500 people. And only about 8% do anything in the church. Only 8% serve. Right? Only 8% give. Only 8% do anything in the church. And it's supposed to be a spirit-filled church. The question is, it, it, it's not about some outward manifestation. The true manifestation is, are you under the influence of the Spirit? Are you living under the influence of the Spirit? Last one. Jesus says, be watching. Watch. Look again, Mark chapter 13, 32 to 36. I read it to you. What does he say? He says, for time, watch, 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 watch. The word uh, he uses here, actually two words. He uses the word Gregorio and he uses agonepo. Agonepo is, is watch, be waiting, watching, but Gregorio means to watch diligently, to be vigilant. There's, there's a level of intensity that we're, we're, we're watching. We're, just, we're living with, again, that awareness. He can come right now. He can come in the next moment. Right? He, can, he can come tonight. That's what it is to watch. And last uh, verse I'll give you, Luke chapter 31, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy. Notice, to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. All these things, right? Deception, antichrist, wars, rumors of wars, death, famines, disease, pestilence, persecution, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. If you came today, if you came right now, wouldn't that be great right now? I want to be caught praying on my knees or preaching the word, Lord, when you come. I said, I don't want to be on the toilet. But if I'm reading the Bible, that would, that would be, I guess that'd be okay. But I want to be ready to be worthy to escape all these things. Stop and ask yourself today, is Jesus really your Lord and Savior? Is he truly your Lord and Savior? Have you taken him into your heart? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you following him? That's key. As we go into next year, you know something, I see people, they don't ever stop. Ever notice that about modern people? So even when they stop, they're doing this. Or they're looking and they're watching TV. Or they're looking at their computers. And they never stop. They, they, there's all these things to stop. You know, it's something that the church should be, like what we're doing today. A chance for you to shut it off and to really think what's really important. You know, what is, what is really important? Because a lot of things that you may be leaving here for, you think are important and they're not. Because in a short time, you're going to be dead. And you know, in a very short time after you die, nobody's going to remember you. I just want you to think. I was reading this in Ecclesiastes. I'm reading Ecclesiastes right now. But think about this. 
How many of you can name your great-grandfather and grandmother? How many of you could name your great-great-grandmother and grandfather? They're forgotten, and that's okay. Short generation, right? The people, the people who were living all around us here, many of them, most of them, 40, 50 years ago, they're dead, they're forgotten. You'll, you, you'll be forgotten, I'll be forgotten. Maybe, maybe if the church is still around, you guys can put a picture of me. You know, like they have the pictures of the pastors. And then you look at that old great picture of that ball guy and you say, who the heck was he? Right? You got a new pastor with a bull, full head of hair and, and it's a colorful picture, right? That's one of the black and white pictures, right? Who the heck, who the heck was that guy? We're really forgotten. And the things that we thought were so important but the things that we thought were so, that we worry about, that we're concerned about, that we're gonna, they're not important. So stop today and think about what's really important. Your salvation, where you're going to be spending eternity, escaping. And if you have not taken that step and made that decision to take Jesus Christ into your life, do that right now today where you're sitting just between you and him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. And in a world that, Lord, can be very discouraging at times, chaotic, Lord God, we see a lot of pain, wars, Lord, crime, persecution. And yet, Lord God, you give us this blessed hope that you are coming and you will deliver your church, Lord God, out of this world where we will be with you forever. And Lord God, let us take that hope into our hearts. Let us, Lord God, just make sure today that we examine ourselves, that Lord God, that we have given our life to you and received you as the leader of our life and our Savior. And that we're following you, Lord as difficult and as hard as that could be, Lord God, in the sinful world, we're following you. I pray, Lord God, that if there's any heart here in this place that has not received you, that they would right now. I pray that you would strengthen us through and through by just giving us that assurance, Lord God, of our salvation and of the blessed hope of the rapture. For we pray this all, Lord God, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.